TED Audio Collective. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hi, everyone. You're listening to After Hours. Tonight, I'm here with Felix and Mahir. I'm young me. Felix, you were gone last week. We missed you. I was, yes. It was heartbreaking to be away. I said, <laughs> oh, no, now they're taping. I'm missing all the fun. Well, we had Ryan Buell here, and he was great. But where were you? I was uh, back in Switzerland. Actually, I, it's a really interesting event. Once a year, Swiss Railways, as you know, super famous for being punctual. Their key management team meets to think about the future of transportation. Are they the most uptight human beings you've ever met? You, I think we can we can forget about the Swiss audience. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be so surprised if you met them. Really? They're thinking about mobility chains against the backdrop of just insane product cycles. Imagine you order a locomotive today. That thing has a lifespan of 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So what they're trying to do in these meetings is think about what's mobility going to look like. I don't even know what mobility is tomorrow. So it's really fun, really interesting. Wow. That's great. That is so interesting. Okay. Well, we missed you. Oh, before we do anything, we should thank our listeners for listening and invite you, if you like the show, to... To maybe write a review, tell other people about it, You're all so kinds of things. Perfect. Recommend and it to your friends. Yes. Recommend it to your friends. And we have an email. Make at- your kids listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can send us comments and feedback. Which at- would be great. We would love that. Actually, we would. Last year, we got a bunch of email, and we kept promising to bring some of them in, and we never did. But we did read every email. And so this year, you can send us email at harvardafterhours at gmail.com. Also, you can follow Mihir at Mihir Desai on Twitter. No? It's kind of Desai Mihir A. You can tell I was late to the game. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's only uh, about a year and a half old. And I, I have no idea what I'm doing on Twitter, but that's a different problem. Okay. Yeah. But so for amusement, they should follow you Yeah, on exactly. Twitter. For how not to do Twitter. So I was on Twitter for a while, and then I got off Twitter, but I just got on, back on. Yay. So I have zero followers, but I'm at Ooh. Young Me Moon oh, because good. I'm starting completely fresh. Fantastic. Yes, I know. I'm going to start tweeting. And are you, Felix? No, I'm not. You're not? No, I'm busy. I don't have time. (laughs) I'm busy. Excusez-moi. Wow. Okay. So I guess, Mihir, you and I, we have lots of time to just be on Twitter Yeah, exactly. I'm just sitting around. (laughs) Yeah, sitting around. Okay. And then both of you brought topics to talk about. Yes. I was hoping we could talk about Netflix. Ooh, I love it. And it's a really iconic company 
What's going on there? How is it going to evolve? I think it's really rich. Fantastic. And Felix? In our opening show, we very briefly talked about crime in Latin America, and it's such an important topic. So I thought we would talk about crime in Latin America. It's so timely. Okay, great. Okay, Mihir, you want to get us started? So I thought we should talk about Netflix. It's clearly one of the most iconic companies today. It's had this incredible run. There are 130 million subscribers, I think, now. And I wanted to get your sense about the sustainability of what they're doing. So first, I think there's a hugely interesting strategy issue, right, which is they're buying content. How do they ensure their position in between the content and the users? And then there's this analogous kind of financial issue, which is the really striking thing about Netflix from a financial perspective is they are burning through cash. They're my canonical (laughs) example of profitable companies who'd never generate cash. And they are spending so much on content now. It's almost hard to fathom, right? So it's about $4 billion a quarter they're spending on content. They wrote a check to Jerry Seinfeld. It was like a $100 million check just for comedians getting coffee. Dave Chappelle got $60 million for two series. And they're levering up. They're just issuing another $2 billion of junk debt. And, you know, on the one hand, they only have $11 billion of debt relative to a market cap. Relative to a market cap cap of $140 billion or whatever. That's right. That's the the argument, right? At the same time, their stock has lost about 30% of its value from the peak, which is far more than the other indices. And there have always been these people who have said, this company cannot survive. Mm -hmm. So I want your take on the strategic issues and also the sustainability of Netflix. The issue I have is the amount that they're spending is outpacing the rate at which they're growing. So number one, just the math, the math doesn't feel sustainable. The second thing is the content arms race is accelerating so dramatically. And we're looking at sort of a two or three year horizon where it's going to get so much worse. So Disney is going to come out with their streaming service next year. And think about Disney. So Disney has pulled all of its content from Netflix and is sitting on franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, and it's just bought 21st Century Fox. Yeah. So it's sitting on all of that content. Amazon, of course, is in its game. Apple is preparing to launch its TV streaming service. So if you think about just the amount of content that we are now going to get confronted with, and then the flip side of that is how much content can we consume? <laughs> no, I'm really serious. As much good stuff as there is now, there's going to be 10 times more good stuff in a few years. There's just no room for us to keep consuming all this. So let me try to paint the optimistic picture. If you look at the number of subscribers that they add, it's now roughly 7 to 1 international versus domestic. If you look at the Netflix story, even in countries that are going through some economic difficulty like Brazil, a third of Brazilian households that have broadband internet access now have subscriptions to Netflix. That's crazy. My God. Uh, and they have rapid growth in Europe now where France, Germany, all these really rich economies is yeah. taking off and they're growing gangbusters in Asia. Asia, in fact, is it's, probably their biggest growth. So I don't know if you watched The Terrace House. It's like a which yeah, one? beautiful Terrace yeah. House. The Japanese uh, reality show? Yeah, co-produced with Japanese TV, brought to the United States a big hit. How many companies have deep relationships with television producers in Japan? Netflix just opened its studio in Spain to build cooperative agreements with television production companies in Europe. And I think what we will see is 
the company that creates a truly global market for television. Disney will do the yes. exact opposite. They make everyone well, watch yeah. the Jedi's yeah. irrespective well, But they could of open up. If they thought a little more smartly about this and they opened up, they could do it. If. Time Warner Entertainment could Apple, do it. Apple could do Apple, it. Apple, Amazon. And more importantly, none of these companies have any history of paying attention to consumers outside their core market. But what are the economics look in each one of these regions, right? So number one, I cannot imagine right. that customer lifetime value looks the same because I, I imagine the, the price sensitivity has got to be different. But then number two, I also imagine that the startup costs associated with building a new library in Brazil and building a library in India and then building a library of content in Japan, these have got to be huge. So – I happened to be in Japan when Netflix became first available in Japan. It was exactly your Apple experience where some crazy person sleeps in front of the store just to make sure that you get it first. Interesting. Yeah. It was like incredible excitement well, about their This is to me what's exciting, entry. which is that the media market is fragmented globally, right? Has been fragmented globally, yeah. right? So like people in India want U.S. content. They want U.K. content and they can't get it. And so this is really like a unification of a global market. Yeah. And Netflix is really good at that and no one else is good. Yeah. I think that's why people are so excited because they can't get the U.S. shows but you're, Yeah, but you're also saying a second thing, which is that they're better at localizing what they do. That's right. So one of the things that they do, which of course is the U.S. playbook, they look at which Japanese shows did really well and for some bizarre reason were discontinued. And guess what? Let's bring it to Brazil. Right. Let's bring it to the United States. Let's bring it to Germany. There's still a remaining question, Felix, even in that wonderful world you described. Okay. The underlying economics still are about the pricing of the content. They've got to be able to buy the content. So, so my sense is that there are enormous differences in the cost of, of content acquisition. Remember, there are – what is it like? They're adding 700 shows this year, something mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. right? And we read about the dozen shows that end up being like super, super expensive. But I think what's interesting about the Netflix portfolio as a whole is that there's some flexibility built into it because they have so many touch points. It's essentially, yes, we have great data, but it's a portfolio play on do we find for the many, many niches that we want to serve, do we find some people all the time where they're really captivated by the content mm. we have? And in the beginning, it needs to be high profile because you want additional subscribers, but eventually it's going to be your experience. Every now and then you find a nugget, but it's not that many nuggets. I find what you, you're saying to be fascinating. So one example of what you just described is Hollywood doesn't make romantic comedies anymore. Remember Harry Met Sally yes. with these big ones? Oh, I love Harry Met Sally. They, yeah. <laughs> Netflix has discovered that there's some niche and it's not high profile. They're not spending a lot of money, but they are just cranking them out. Hmm. If you go on Netflix, and the only reason I know this is I watched one. And then they fed it to and you. And if you watch one, <laughs> then suddenly you're just being fed yeah. one after another after another. And they're all like, you know, B minus. They're not great, but they're <laughs> just fine. And, it's and there's sort no of, competition. And there's no competition for it. But having said all that, I have one <laughs> important question for you, and that is – so yeah. fast forward, say, five years from now. Yeah. Okay, the U.S. is still the largest market. Yes. So now Apple's in the mix. Disney's in the mix. HBO has dramatically ramped up its content. Are we subscribing to multiple providers now? We're holding all these subscriptions. 
And then I had the same question for globally. How does it play out when we're exposed to these multiple bundles? We only have a limited amount of time to watch content. Yeah. Yeah. And just yeah. to sharpen that a little, let's all make some predictions. Okay. Where do we see Netflix in the next 10 or 20 years? So the way I think about it is Netflix is the ABC, NBC type large broadcaster of our times. And the large broadcasters were largely vertically integrated. Mm -hmm. And because uh, they have high production cost, they needed scale. And they got scale by producing the kinds of shows that everybody wanted to watch. So you had a large domestic audience. The internet comes along and essentially now all of a sudden markets fracture and you have small niches that need to be served. And the question is, how does the economics work if these are all these small niches? And to my thinking, the economics only work if you're global. Yeah, and so that's right. I would say Netflix is going to be one of very few limited companies because only a few companies can have the global scale. What about Disney? I, I think Disney is is so American. It's such an American company. I, I here's just, the thing about Disney, though, that none of these other companies know how to do. They brand their content, and they're able to monetize those brands better than any company create, in the history of entertainment. And they that create vehicles. Right. Like exactly. But, right. vehicles. But, but what is it that you admire about Disney? Disney comes out with these movies, and you can go with your entire family. And it's a fabulous experience for the kids, and the adults get to laugh. And it's really – they're creating – the type of content that has broad appeal. I think there's room for that. I oh, think I Disney see. can be Disney, but that's like not Netflix's game. I okay. think I will be... So they will coexist, yes. is what you're saying. Yeah. I get your point about the 5,000 yeah. niches. I mean, I get served cooking shows and British copper, <laughs> <Yeah>. British mystery <laughs> yes, that's shows. Right. You're, yeah, the, that's right. you're the Mr. <laughs> Britain. <laughs> so I have a prediction. If we're talking a 10-year horizon. Sure. I don't actually know if I believe this, but okay. <laughs> so Apple launches its TV streaming product and pours a ton of money into it and discovers that it's so much harder than they realized. So they finally bite the bullet and they buy Netflix. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's yeah. expensive. Oh, it's, yes. But, you know, Yeah, Apple, but just to be clear, Apple by has, comparison, I mean, it's a trillion-dollar market exactly. cap versus $130 billion That's market exactly cap. That's exactly right. So it's not, yeah. it's right. big by most perspectives, but it's not big by theirs. Yeah, yeah. That's, a That's interesting. Yeah. That's But really I mean, you know, Apple, I do think this is going to be harder than... I mean, Apple had trouble with music. Yes. Right? And maybe the lesson for music is yes. you want to buy. Oh, yeah. They'll have already bought Spotify by then as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think we solved All Netflix. Right. Okay. Can I just... I think yes. what we should do... I had an idea, though. I think since Netflix is uh, spending so much money on content, I think we should pitch a show three business school professors oh. <laughs> and like their lives. I'm sure it'll be like a huge hit. <laughs> okay, we're going to do a hard left turn now. Yes. So we briefly alluded to it earlier in the show. There is an incredible wave of crime in almost any Latin American country that you can think of with, I think, the big and notable exception of Chile. And I thought I'd just give you some numbers to get this into perspective. So in El Salvador, it's 10 times more likely than in the U.S. that you will be murdered. Okay? It is 40 times more likely in El Salvador uh, that you will be murdered compared to living your life in Africa. Oh, my God. Okay? So it is really dramatic. 
And I think as a result, two things happen. One is all the economic difficulties uh, in these countries where, you know, everything from raising revenue to just having order and, and having a sense of security that is really missing. But also people are leaving. 43% of Brazilians say today, if only they could, they would leave tomorrow. And what's particularly troubling is that the better educated people are, the more they want to leave. Okay? And some of this, obviously, Central America, we see the consequences here in the U.S. Brazilians move to Portugal because they speak the language. So it's a global phenomenon, personal tragedy after personal tragedy. You probably saw some of these articles in the Wall yeah. Street Journal yeah. just detailing what it's yeah. like to live in these areas. But then also really big global consequences. Felix, why has this become so acute? What has happened in the last 10 years? Because it's not just that it's bad, it's so much worse than ever before, and the pace at which it's getting worse is accelerating as well. So what's happened in the last 10 years? So crime, obviously, was an issue for a very long time, often very closely tied to drug trade. And as a result, it was relatively centralized. So in some, you know, counterintuitive way, Mexico, I think, is a good example where you destroy some of the centralized organizations. And then what happens is that you get lots of Chaos gangs. Break you break get, you get, and they're fighting for control. And gangs fighting for control is really dangerous for everybody else. So I think that's one difference. The second difference is that gangs have moved away from the drug trade to basically local kinds of issues where they demand payments from businesses, they right. demand payments from individuals. So it's a business model that just sucks everyone dry and the threat is violence. And young people in particular in that environment where you don't see ho – say, who would start a store even in a place where you know the gang is going to come around and basically take away all your profits? Of course you don't. In that situation, it's much better to join the gang than to open that store. So you're saying the drug trade used to be relatively siloed and now they have essentially infiltrated – all of commercial yeah. activity. Everyday and, life. And Everyday. siloed or centralized, right? Or Which centralized. is that the idea is that they have a vested interest, a very powerful one-party crime system has a vested interest in maintaining order. I found this so depressing to think about. But the thing that it struck me is it is like literally the breakdown of order. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. it is I so fundamental right. when you think about it. Because when you can't protect yourself from violence, the state is failing, right? And once you go down that path... I don't know how you come back. And by the way, obviously in Brazil, we're seeing one possibility, which is authoritarianism yes. um, or some version of authoritarianism, which is another global spillover of these actions, which is the rise of authoritarianism. Yeah. So when you look at these countries in Latin America, what's the approach yeah. that we should be taking? So one of the things that I've been thinking about, and I don't really know what it would look like, but what's the IMF for crime? Don't we need something like an IMF for crime where there's some global institution that can step in from the outside. And I think both help on the ground in, in a really tactical sense, but yeah. also help with resources. The problem is, is there's no way to intervene without actually having a physical presence exactly. when it comes to violence. I mean, the IMF That's makes right. a loan. That's right. And they still get in trouble for the structural adjustment plans as being too interventionist. That's right. This would require a physical presence in the country, which is... I, I, yeah. 
I have to say, part of this makes me think, young me, about the lack of American leadership on some of these things and how the years we grew up in were a period of, relatively speaking, peace and benevolence because there was a policeman and there was order, especially in Central America, right? And we should be... But isn't it Nicaragua? Didn't we play the worst role you can... I mean, American intervention in Latin America, I don't think is a happy part well, of history. certainly, no? that's true. Certainly, the history is not terribly good on this. But what is the alternative? I don't see other solutions. Do you think this qualifies for asylum? So one of the debates right now, of course, with of the course, migrant yeah. caravan is should these migrants be allowed to apply for asylum? And the requirements for asylum are when you are persecuted on the basis of your race or your religion, your nationality, your political beliefs, usually that persecution is coming from the state. This is a little different because the persecution is coming from gangs and from violence. And so Jeff Sessions, I think, recently said this does not qualify for asylum, which puts them in a different sort of migrant population, which is folks that are experiencing economic hardship, mm -hmm. right, which has a lot fewer protections under our law anyway. So how – when they come to our borders, how should we be treating these people as – Refugees seeking asylum from persecution or as migrants in search of a better life? Because depending on what we decide, it changes what our obligation is. So I think your point is a very good one, that the traditional asylum process is meant for people who suffered from political persecution. And so you have to be able to show that it's personal and that it's right. you. And yeah. typically the government is after you. So that's not an avenue that I think is open to us. But we have, we have other means. Uh, look how we respond to natural catastrophes. When Haiti being an example, that's like big earthquakes. That's interesting. And then we say, okay, so it's we're going to do two things. We take in a lot of people and we also make it clear that this may not be permanent. Because in a way, for the person having to live in these areas, it is like a natural disaster. It's no different. I mean, the issue, of course, is that in the natural disaster setting, things are thought to get better, meaning we're removing you from a circumstance because right. it's so horrific. Yes. But it will return to normal and then you will go back. Yes. This is not that same thing, meaning there isn't the prospect of that happening. If anything, it's conceivable that it leads to it getting worse as more and more. That's a really interesting. So what's your sense? If we make migration out of, say, Central America easier, is your sense that crime gets worse for those who stay behind or is there no influence? Or Because that well, really matters, right? If we make yeah. things worse yeah. by accepting large numbers of people, that would not be the appropriate policy response. I don't have a strong intuition on that, but I mean, what we know in some of the migration literature is there are significant fixed costs to migration and a lot of that is, in typical settings, most easily borne by high-income types. Yeah, and that makes the country worse off in the long Absolutely. run because, yeah. as in the Brazilian example, Absolutely. the best everybody qualified people, we, everybody, everybody will leave. leave. I mean, on your question, young me, not to dodge it, I think, because it's like a hard question. Um, I mean, first, of course, I should just say, I think all these fears of the caravan are just dramatically overblown. These people are not coming swarming over the border. But I confess, I don't think it's asylum. I think it's a more traditional kind of migration seeking a better life, which is the less generous treatment. I, I, I can't get to asylum. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that I am so frustrated by is I consider myself pro-immigration for sure. The problem I have is I'm unable to have a conversation about what does it mean 
to welcome people to our country? What does it mean for what happens to the country they leave behind? If we have to make choices about who we let in and who we don't, how do we make those choices? And what numbers can we accommodate? Yeah. So and I know, we can't have that conversation right now in this country. Yeah. Oh, without, yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. It's really hard to have it. Not right just now. in this country. I mean, think about what happened to Merkel exactly. or think about in the UK. Yeah. I exactly. mean, this is becoming the most destabilizing question. So I know you both really disliked my IMF for crime <laughs> idea, but since you're fresh out of ideas yourself, can I come back to it? Yes, okay. So in the history of fighting crime in the United States, we sometimes give real credit to the people who led police forces in the big cities. Right? The, the big crime story in the, in the States that has changed is really like cities have become so much safer over time. And it's right. disputed why this is. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that the tactics that police showed, uh, the resources that were employed, that they played no role in the fact that America is much, much safer today mm-hmm. than it was just so a little while ago. Why not build a force that can do similar things? So I wasn't actually an thinking... An international police force. At least an international force that can serve as consultants, yeah. uh, that can actually bring in money, bring in reward systems if you do it right, if you follow particular steps that we I know... It's interesting. ...that we would support that because... We can't have the rest of the world move to Europe but, and Asia. But just and to be the clear, I mean, okay, I think it's interesting, and it happens sometimes informally, right? So the NYPD will send missions to That's London right. on terrorism. But this or, is our answer, guys. We're going to well, build but, an international police force, and when countries are consumed with violence, we're going to send this force in to restore order to a city. That's that's our answer. I think that's Felix's answer, but it also I don't know if it addresses the underlying problems. Do you think the underlying problem is police capabilities? The scale of the problem is so much bigger than that, right? Don't you think? I mean, are we going to get this solved by NYPD going down to Rio de Janeiro and like talking about tactics? Is that going to make this that yeah, much better? I mean, if you think about it. So I'm still waiting to hear the much better idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. have an idea. Well, maybe it's self-correcting. How about this? Which is, is does it, do we just shift to an equilibrium where we see the return of centralization, right? Where it becomes so brutal Legalize the drug trade. I mean, that would be that would be one, right? I mean, drug is still drugs is still an issue; it's still a source of revenue. But the core of the problem has shifted away. Yeah. Hard. I just want to go back because I I just do want to say, I agree. The U.S. experience in Latin America was terrible, but I do think there's something about not having a large power invested in the welfare of these kinds of countries, because that ultimately is what's going to happen. And it's going to either be the U.S. or it's going to be China or it's going to be somewhere else. And I'd rather it be, you know, my instinct is I'd rather it be the U.S. Relative to this world. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a pick for you guys. All right. Good. An uplifting one, we hope. Well, yeah, you know what? It kind of is. Okay, Okay, good. I just read this book called Educated, a Memoir. This is the Tara whatever. The Tara Westover book. This is a story about a girl that was raised in a survivalist family in the mountains of Idaho. Uh, So she grew up with no formal education, no professional medical care, nothing. They just lived by their own means. Really tough upbringing in many ways, abusive older brother. But at some point, she gets it in her head, in part 
as a result of the influence of another older brother. But she gets it in her head that she wants to go to college. And she learns that at BYU, they will take you if you haven't gone to high school, as long as you score a certain score on your ACT. Okay. So she decides she's going to take this ACT, but she's got to learn the material. She knows how to read. Her mother's taught her how to read. She knows how to add and subtract, but that's essentially it. So she has to teach herself all this stuff. She has to learn how to learn. It's this phenomenal story of resilience. She ends up going to BYU. She ends up getting her PhD at Cambridge University. She's at Harvard for a postdoc for a while. It's really amazing. But there are just so many little anecdotes in this story that give you a sense of this young woman's incredible wisdom, but also these huge gaps. So there's this scene where she's sitting in a history class in college, and they start talking about the Holocaust. And she raises her hand and she says, what's the Holocaust? And in that class, she lost any hope of any friend Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they all thought she was being a jokester or something. And they thought she was this horrible person. And she was completely confused. There are just so many little anecdotes about how she overcame every little bit. It's It's a phenomenal story. It's really I think I've heard an interview with her, too, and she's just remarkably placid and well-spoken and thoughtful. It's wow. it's an amazing wow. story. Amazing. So what's the title and the author? It's called Educated, colon, a memoir. And her name is Tara Westover. You should check it out. Fantastic. Since we talked about Netflix, oh. I thought I would make a Netflix recommendation. And and one of the things that I that I enjoy about Netflix is Obviously, their, their, their selection of movies is not great. And so my sense is they sort of cycle movies, older movies in particular, in and out of their catalog. And every now and then when that happens, a movie that I really, really enjoyed watching when I first saw it, all of a sudden it pops up <laughs> on my radar screen. And this happened to me. Uh, do you remember Burn After Reading? No. It's with Brad Pitt and Francis McDermott. It's these two not super smart people <laughs> working in a fitness club, and by accident, they come across highly secret CIA information. Oh my okay? God, I'm not going to say more. I'm not going to give it away. But it's like one of these moments where you, oh, yeah. I don't know about you, but and maybe this is age. Like I watch movies and I have a good time watching the movies, and then somehow I don't really, really don't, don't think about them or don't remember them. And Netflix is like this, this bag of treasure troves. Oh, I haven't seen this thing in a long time. And so... And Frances McDormand, she's so good. She is. She's she's good in everything. She's good in everything. She is good in everything. What about you, Mihir? So, um, I've been wanting to make music recommendations, but I can't decide on one, so I'm going to go for two. Okay. So, the first is... um, (laughs) Mihir, his new thing is he's decided he's going to give us two every week. Is that right? Did I do it last week, too? I think you did. It's all right, though. Okay. You know what? We'll take it. It's good. Okay, so I'll be quick. So, the first is... um, Janelle Monet is a singer, and she is spectacular. And I've just discovered her. And as somebody who doesn't pay that much attention to new music, once in a while somebody strikes you as being so good, she is that good. She's, she's good, is, yeah. She's I a like, future. I like her too, yeah. She's the future, I think. But don't you listen to polka music, Felix, when you say you like Turkish her? Turkish pop. Oh, sorry, Turkish. I don't know. Polka music. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, all right. And the, the other, other one? one was, I've gotten in this habit of when I travel, especially to London, at the last minute, I'll decide to go to a show. And I saw Company, which is the Stephen Sondheim musical, which was so good. It was like the best thing I've seen I in like do a musicals. decade. You don't do musicals? I'm sorry. Go to you this don't musical. Like, you don't go like any musical. musical. You go to you this musical. You can't think of one. 
Like when you grew up? <laughs> See, I, you know, I knew you guys would immediately turn this into an attack on me because I don't it's like musicals. It's not an attack. It's like a... I, I don't like musicals. We, we I don't, feel bad I, that you're missing out. That's I, I can't get into them because the minute it gets interesting, they break out into a song. Okay, so I want you to see Company, Young Me. I really want you to see Company. Everyone's, everyone's oh, I need you to see Cats. Oh, no, 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 you no, that's must garbage. see no, Book of Mormon. That stuff is garbage. Oh, you have to see Hamilton. Oh, this is the one that everyone says, oh, this is the one. So did you and see so Hamilton go, and not like it? Give us your recommendation. Oh, my God. <laughs> just give us your recommendation. Everything I thought about Young Me is upside down No, just down give now. us your recommendation. <laughs> so Company is a Stephen Sondheim musical. It's playing in London, and they switched it from a male lead to a female lead. So it's actually a really nice uh, new uh, version of the musical. In part because it was serendipitous, I decided at 6 p.m. to go. It was just fantastic. And it was like one of those nights which is just so surprisingly great. So I recommend it completely. I'm sure it'll end up in New York. It was that good. So good. This might be the one that changes. Mm. It's going to change your life. No No one. one. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. This is After Hours. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning, It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more.